What is up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Mitch Grace Show. Another awesome show planned for you today. Um, I'll tell you what, it has been an honor to meet so many amazing people on the show through social media and to become friends. My, my friend group has grown massively over the last uh, uh, six to eight months. So <laughs> yeah. uh, today I've got another new friend on the show for you, brothers and sisters, Mr. Dustin Miller. He goes by the Poly Innovator. And we're going to get into that because some people may be like, what is that? But before we get into that, Dustin, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. I'm excited to visit and to see where this conversation goes. Let me ask you, like I've been asking all of my guests over the last month or two, you're healthy, you're safe, you're well, yes? Yes, yes. Good, 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 good. So um, tell us, I just like to jump right into it, man. What do you have going on in life? Anything uh, exciting, anything new, anything challenging? What's what's kind of going on? Tell people about, uh, about Dustin. Yeah, so most of my working life has been like a fitness instructor, water aerobics, swim lessons, personal training. And when the quarantine hit, lockdown, I had to stop doing that. And so that kind of like, okay, my income was shot, but I also wanted to be opportunistic. Hey, I'm stuck at home a lot. Luckily, I've been building my brand over these years and trying to create a lot of content. And I'd only work about 15 hours a week beforehand anyways. So getting that extra 15 hours back was pretty nice. I was like, okay, now I can spend more time on it. So I'm focusing on my main series, Omni Content, and my show, The Polymath Polycast. Nice. So let's back up. You're a fitness instructor. Is that Did I hear yeah. that properly? Yeah. Okay. So what, how did you get into that, man? So ironically, when I was growing up, I was always like a scrawny kid. And I think that's kind of the origin story of a lot of right. people, too. They just want to stop being so weak and they get stronger. Right. And so I became, I, I took a swimming class in high school. And then at the end of the class, they're like, hey, go become a lifeguard. And so I did, and definitely had to get a lot stronger because of that. Right. And uh, whenever I would lifeguard, I'd also see swim instructors. And I told my boss, like, hey, I want to do that. And over time, I just kept telling my boss, hey, I want to do pool managing. I want to do water aerobics. I want to do the water boot camp. I want to do the move your joints, which is an arthritis-based class. Eventually, I also worked upstairs in the gym as a fitness attendant and as personal trainer. and just did this kind of polymathic deal the whole time. Right, right. What is your favorite? So are you still doing fitness stuff or are you, are you, are you kind of on pause on that? So during the quarantine, I was able to meet with people who, in a safe way, like making sure we did hand sanitizing and all that stuff at their right. dwelling. I was able to do some lessons and personal training at their houses. Right. Nice. What's yeah. your favorite thing about fitness instruction? My favorite thing would be um, overall just making sure I'm able to teach someone something new, be able to really work at their goals and try to get them accomplished in that physical realm. Right, right. So do you do, um, is, is it, does it lean more toward personal training or is it more, uh, the only way I can think to say it, personal health? So in other words, are you really setting people up on, on kind of like plans and stuff or are you just more trying to help people improve their health through basic education? A little bit of both, a little bit of neither actually. Cause so, a lot of my main stuff comes down to training. So I'm doing swim lessons. I'm doing gotcha. Uh, gotcha. water aerobics classes, or except those just started back up now at this point, considering that the lockdown is somewhat lifted where I am at. So, and then personal training is direct training, but I also do get very didactic. I talk a lot anyways too. Someone referred to right. me as a stock reel of information. Right. So like, right. Right. I, I do a lot of teaching as well. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, how many are, are you growing your clientele? Or are you kind of waiting till after the the um, quarantine is over? What is that? How's business develop as far as the um, the training goes? I mean, I, I've been trying to keep it kind of mellow at this particular point, despite my lack of income. Besides this, because I don't want to, and I don't want to interact with too many people, just in case either I'm carrying it or they might be carrying it. This the virus is still going to probably come back and hit it again with all these people doing these big crowds. Right, and so right. I'm worried that people are going to get sick again. Right. So I'm trying to be mindful about it, but not overly scared. What is, have you noticed uh, people wanting to gain knowledge based on, okay, we have this pandemic, we have this virus. Uh, do you notice people being more pro, uh, proactive on kind of gaining knowledge on their health? Kind of thinking if I can be healthy, I can fight it better. I can be more, you know, quote, immune to it per se. Um, is that something you've noticed in the marketplace with people dealing with uh, fitness and health, or is it just kind of status quo? 
No, they haven't done anything like that, which at least in my experience, and that makes me kind of frustrated. It's like, I want people to be healthy. Right. I want to teach them to be the new things. And one thing I was talking to one of my students about recently is that there was this great opportunity with being locked down at home. Right. So either get your fitness into shape, get some, learn some new skill to get a new job and pursue self-development, which has always been my shtick in a way too. And um, I think that people haven't really taken a chance to take advantage of this opportunity. Yeah, it's almost like the pause button got hit, right, on, yeah. on the majority of people. And it's like, okay, I can either be passively paused or I can be actively paused. Mm -hmm. um, and you really started to see the difference in mindsets. Um, I, I, I think guys like you and I were like, okay, great. We get to mm -hmm. pause one thing because we have so many interests and irons in the fire. You have a fancy word to use for that that we're going to talk about in a second so our listeners understand. But yeah, I think guys, I think people with multiple interests were like, okay, great. I get to pause one thing and focus on something else. And to me, that was kind of a really cool breath of fresh air. And it is a bit unfortunate to watch much of society going. I Just uh, Tuesday night, I was, I was meeting with a friend and we met another, um, he introduced me to another friend. Mm -hmm. And this guy was like, yeah, I've just been sitting with nothing to do and I'm bored. And I'm like, wait, what? There's a million things to do, but it's really right. a mindset idealism. It's a mindset of this is an opportunity yeah. to move forward and to, and to learn something. How has that applied? So you're, you're this fitness guy. You're trying to build multiple brands, multiple businesses. What did this season, what kind of opportunity did it allow for you personally? So it's interesting that you're talking about these multiple different brands. I have my personal brand, Dustin Miller Poly Innovator. It's, it's just one and the same in that particular case. And I group that for everything I do. So any kind of graphics design I do, any kind of fitness instructor, is there a fly getting at you? There is a fly <laughs> getting at me. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be battling it the whole episode, so just ignore me. <laughs> no, um, and so actually someone was talking to me about how I should be building a personal brand with a personal training life, but I've already developed a reputation with the swimming at the very least, and people respect me as a personal trainer as well. But I don't necessarily want to do that just yet. That's actually going to be my next phase of content, I think, for Poly Innovator. The first one's more based around self-education, which, like you said, people, like, you would think people would be trying to pursue more education at home when they have this opportunity. Yes, yes. So let's dig into Poly Innovator. You've mentioned that multiple times. Um, let's dig into, because you just said something just now, when someone said you should build more of your personal brand, and you're like, hold on a second. I've got a plan for that kind of in the future, but right now it's falling under the whole poly innovator idea. So now that people have listened to us for eight or nine minutes and they're going, okay, what in the world does this mean? Explain to the listeners what that idea behind poly innovator is. So poly innovator is, is my personal brand. That is the name I chose to kind of define myself online. Kind of, kind of like Chris Ducker's Youpreneur. That's the way he defines himself. And I, I wanted this idea to work in the innovation field and I've always seen myself as polymathic, which I can explain in a moment what that means. And so I, what I decided to do is base this off the idea of becoming a polymath of innovation. So really creating new ideas and innovating certain fields using the interdisciplinary aspect of polymathy, which a polymath just means someone who's either learning or mastery of multiple skills. Right, it right. Makes sense. So it's this idea that you have a ton of interest and a ton of talents and a ton of passions organizing those in a way that can really propel uh, things forward. And, and from the times you and I have talked a little bit on Twitter and, and personally and then through the show already, um, I would dare to say that you're a guy that has a heart of compassion for others and really wants to see the world um, become its potential. And, and I think you're exactly right. And, and, and no matter how we verbalize it or labelize it or express it, um, it's the idea that we all need to bring these passions and these ideas to the table. And if everyone will bring your passion and ideas to the table, it just betters humanity. Yeah. Um, how, how are you applying? Um, you've talked about fitness. You've talked about some other things. How are you applying this poly innovator idea, this polymath idea to an applicable way of life every day? What does that look like? 
it really comes down to self-awareness. So I, I think that I, I don't want people getting confused as to like polymathy being the goal. It's more about knowing who you are. Some people do need to be specialists. Some people do need to focus on just one thing. But there's a lot of people out there. I think you probably fit this as well. Uh, we talked about that a little bit. But the kind of a more jack-of-all-trades kind of mindset, someone who's more of a generalist. Those two traits are kind of like a polymath but at a lower level. And polymaths are essentially more so someone's at a high level. I don't necessarily consider myself too much of a polymath just yet because I only have a high level in a couple areas. Whereas poly, from the polymath name, means much or many. So it means a master of multiple areas or at the very least like a journeyman level. Yeah, I saw someone mention on social media the other day, um, actually it may have been like a month ago, but they basically said for so many years, a jack of all trades has been uh, a negative connotation. And they were basically saying, no, 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 you, you really need to be a jack of all trades in order to basically uh, exponentiate your ability and your human capacity. And you see that in companies, the way companies are hiring, the way the way culture and the workplace is moving is, you know, back in the day when parents, grandparents came up, it was like you were started at a company at 24 and you stayed with that company until you were 65. And you had one trade and you had one thing and you did that one thing and then life was over basically and what's happening now is companies are hiring saying uh no if you haven't worked for multiple companies and learned multiple skills then you're not marketable that's a massive and i think that relates actually directly to what you're talking about that is a massive conflict in um workplace culture and you society. can it is and you can still feel the friction you can still feel the generational friction of hold on you've only been with a company 2 years and you're leaving now but it really has to do with applying what you're talking about yeah well and i think that there's a dissonance to what the idea of either jack of all trades or polymath is for we've always had the need for polymaths or people of a wide ranging skill but in society, especially in the U.S., we developed this culture around going to college and getting a specialized skill to work for a specialized place. And this this spawned from the Industrial Revolution right. when trains were all building up and they needed people to build cars and train parts and that kind of thing. But especially with automation and robots, we have people to do those specialty tools for the most part. But there's even, like Elon Musk was saying, how they need people who are able to program and do the hardware, like, yes. a, like a mechanic, for yes. their car machines. And so you need that interdisciplinary mindset the width of knowledge as well as depth. Well, then we're talking about uh, interdisciplinary mindset. You're also talking about wider perspective. And I think when can, someone can learn multiple skills, uh, manifest multiple passions, really what that does is it, it forces you to broaden your perspective and go, let's just say, again, we're building a car for Elon Musk. If all we know how to do is program the computer, we don't know anything about, else about the car. Whereas yeah. if we know how to program the computer, why the tires are what they are, why we've, why we've um, scaled this model the way we've scaled it, that changes the whole vision and capacity of what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. That's critical, yeah. critical. Apply that to society and to, to humani- humanitarianism. If everyone has a broader perspective, we've changed the game. Yeah. Well, and we're approaching the fourth industrial revolution, as it's called. Uh, people have been coining lately, and we're we're getting more and more into automation and new AI and all these different technologies. That most of the time, you need to be interdisciplinary, at least in two different areas. Maybe not a polymath in a way, but more as a dual specialty, where you're nanotech or uh, biotechnology, where you need to have biology and technological science knowledge in order to actually merge those together into a new innovative field. Right. Right. So I want to ask the question that I know people are thinking, how in the world did you get into the idealism of poly innovation, poly math? What, at what, at what point in life did you go? Yeah, that's intriguing. That's intriguing. I think it's it's real quick. I think it's funny how you said poly innovation. That's something that I've been thinking about the name of like, because it's, it's, it's poly innovation. You're taking different areas and putting it into one new innovation, but using that poly math mindset. I like that. Um, but you you can use that. Go ahead. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when it comes to how I did it, it, it's not really anything that I discovered. It's just a matter of how I discovered myself. I've always been interdisciplinary. Like I said, when I started doing my jobs, I immediately started doing multiple different positions. Like I, the first job I did was a lifeguarding, but only a little less than a year later, became a swim instructor. A little over a year later, swim instructor, lifeguard, fitness attendant, water bus instructor, and pool manager. And then 
Beyond that, I started doing other jobs. I've done escape rooms, uh, two different companies for that. I've worked for a, a natural makeup company. I've worked for a DJ. I've worked for a as a barista, all kinds of different jobs, elevator operator even, and just try to take advantage of my natural inclination towards these divergent paths. Is, isn't, it, isn't it crazy that if, if, if you were to list that whole spectrum of experiences, uh, let's say 20 years ago, people might have looked at you and gone, okay, you can't hold a job. Like yeah. that's literally how people would have interpreted that. And now it's like, Absolutely. oh, wow, he has a ton of experience. Yeah. That, that's, to me, that's just crazy to think about how, how really, if you stop and consider how quickly um, we've started to shift the perspective of, no, it's not about being penalized because you've had a ton of different jobs and you're not dependable. It's mm -hmm. more about, oh, you have a lot of experiences that you can bring to the table. What do you think forced that shift of mindset? Well, and I still think we're not even that far. And like, I don't think, I'm not as optimistic as you when it comes to that at this particular point. I, that's why I actually created my shows to actually start spreading the more of that polymath mindset. But um, I, I've had a hard time getting jobs at some point. Some people mm -hmm. see me as like, a, they see the gregariousness that they, they hire me more for my personality than they do for my, well, polymath is kind of my personality in a way, but they, instead of my actual history. Right. They're like, oh, you've worked these jobs for a short time. And so I've actually had some issues with that. But I've worked at my main employer for eight years. Yeah. So I made sure I kept that long-term as well. So I don't know. I think the shift is coming from the idea of having that interdisciplinary skills, like you said, that with the knowledge for companies to actually really apply that employee to multiple areas. Yeah, and, and, and I do agree with you. I think we still have a long way to go. I, I think in, in the traditional corporate world, it can still be penalized. People can still say, oh, wow, you're not very dependable. If I hire you in two years, you may go do something else. Rather than looking at it as, wow, this is fertile ground. Like this, this guy, wants, he wants to learn new things. He wants to try new things. He wants to apply all of this knowledge. I mean, you, you know, you've got companies like Google who's kind of leading, leading the way in that. And, and, you know, you said he mentioned Elon Musk. I think people like that are trying to kind of lead the way in, uh, in, in, in approaching that differently. Um, yeah. but it's, you know, I, I have to say, um, my, my kids are all in college now and they're all trying to figure out how their path is going to manifest and unfold. And it is interesting to watch what they're going through versus what I went through 25 years ago. Right. Um, it has shifted drastically since then. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, 25 years ago, it was still, you get a job with a company, stay with the company and you retire with the company. And in my head, mm -hmm. even when I was 15 years old and heard that, I'm like, no, that sounds yeah terrible <laughs> yeah well and i do want to add a point too that when you said that earlier about staying with the company is that i think a lot of people are more polymathic than they realize especially mm -hmm. the older crowd because you might be staying with that same company but your role generally doesn't stay the same unless you're doing some kind of entry level thing so you're you're moving up to management which is a completely new skill set you're moving up into operations or hr or whatever what pathway you choose to move up in, that new career, that new job probably will teach you new skills that you have to get mastered again. And so you end up becoming a polymath by the end of your life anyways, just because that's how your life developed. 100%. And, and I agree. I, I, I really support the idea of the power of permission. And mm -hmm. I think innovation comes, especially innovation of thought, through the permission to think that way. And so when you're surrounded by a society that says, no, 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 You've got to graduate high school. You've got to go to college. You've got to get a, a bachelor's degree, and then you have to go find your job. You're not given permission to think differently. But I think back. I mean, just thinking of school teachers that I had as a kid, almost all of them had a second job. Yeah. The only reason they were teaching school is because they knew it was a good job to have for 25 years. That was yeah. it. Yeah. And their second job was normally their passion, whether it was coaching or farming or having a side business. We just mm -hmm. didn't welcome it like we welcome it now. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also due to the rise of entrepreneurship, too, because I feel like yes. entrepreneurs aren't polymaths by nature, but they're polymathic in a way where you, if you're an entrepreneur, like you and I both were talking about beforehand, how we're doing a lot of things on our own, and we have to just, we have to start doing, like, this podcast editing, podcast, making sure the podcast show is running right, you have to know the technical skills behind that, then marketing to distribute it, then uh, finding sponsorships down the line, or whatever kind of skills you're doing, and not to mention YouTube on top of that, and, and then uh, blogging, too, right. having all these different skills, you end up becoming more polymathic simply because you're an entrepreneur. So let's talk about the podcast. Let's shift okay. there. Um, you have a podcast, the uh, the Polymath Polycast, correct? Mm -hmm. I got that right. 
Um, tell us about that a little bit. Why, why did you start that show? You alluded to it earlier. Um, but why did you start that show? When did you start the show? And kind of where is that going for you? So here's a little tidbit before we get started with that. I actually don't like the, the name podcast. Podcast comes from the iPod name, and I've actually always been kind of an anti-Apple person. Little rebellious, so, little rebellious. Yeah. Yes. So that's why I call it the Polycast because it's 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 uh it's also kind of the it's it's going on the name of Poly so much and many like I said earlier for the polymath where I don't have just one niche that I go over. Mm-hmm. Technically, polymathy is my niche, right? But by because of that, I have multiple sub niches that I go into. It started out actually with my previous brand before Poly Innovator. And so I, I started using that as my actual experience. And I actually kind of adopted that into the podcast. So if you look on there, you'll see a whole bunch of green, which is the last brand. But a lot of stuff I talked there was the same stuff as Poly Innovator. So I kind of morphed it all together. And then the podcast itself could be whatever, whatever I want to talk about. But the main episodes don't come out as often. What does come out is three different shows. You have the Omni content, which is my main series, which we can talk about later. But essentially, the the ending phase of that goes into an audio form. Then we have the Fireside Micro Polycast, which are just like little rants or snippets or ideas that I wanted to share. Like one night, I had this idea of the future of social media, and I wanted to talk about it and document it before I forgot and went to sleep. And then I have the interviews, which is the long-form content as well. Very nice. So why why three different kind of formats, kind of um, perspectives of that one idea? Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen podcasts evolve over the past 10 years. Everyone has. But if you look deeply, you see that there's been about five waves of really big podcasters going out. Like John Lee DeMoss and Joe Rogan, they were like one of the first or second waves. But then you have like Gary Vee, part of the third wave. And if you see how they did it, a lot of people are also talking about how long form is actually going to be growing a lot. There's also some people saying the opposite, where short form is really growing a lot. And they've been saying the same thing on YouTube as well for over a decade now. And it's not about which one is growing, it's about which one is what you can create. Mm. And I like doing both, right. depending on what topic I'm using or something like that. So I'm trying to take advantage of my just natural inclination towards anything, basically. <laughs> and so like, I wanted to create both kinds of top content if I can. The more you, the merrier. You, you've mentioned something multiple times, and I want to come okay. back to it. You've mentioned the idea of following your natural inclin- inclination. Okay. I actually think that is a very new thought form, especially in modernized society. Um, it, that, that sounds kind of weird to say, man, it's 2020. We have a lot of modernisms. We have a lot of technology. Why is following your natural inclination kind of new? And I think it actually relates directly to what we've been talking about. People have been told this is how you should do it. This is the right way. Um, don't follow your passion. Don't follow your natural inclination. Do it the way that everyone else has done it. What has given you the courage or the inspiration to go, no, 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 I'm going to do things a little bit differently? First off, I was always kind of a little anti-conformist anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> so a, a little example was I, when I went to high school, I, I had to switch schools because I moved. But before both of those years at those schools, I went to summer school. And in both cases, half the schools cut off for cleaning and repairs and stuff like that. But I was curious. I wanted to explore the school. Right. And so in both cases, I went to summer school. I spent the first couple of weeks just exploring everything, even though it was against the rules. Right. And I think that's a good example of just kind of my mentality on life as for the most part, too. Uh, exploration, curiosity, and anti-conformity. <laughs> right. But um, and so that's kind of one reason why I was like, I know what I want to do. I've always kind of know what I wanted to do. So I was lucky on that. And so I was always thinking that like, I don't really want to go to college. I'm going to pursue this instead. Yeah. But for people who don't always know what they want, I think there is that kind of mindset like, hey, we need a little external push. So like people like Gary Vee have been trying to do that, trying to be the excuse for people like, hey, he says I should do it. I'm going to put my faith into him. And I think it's a good idea to have that kind of mentor or goal setter out there to help people push past their society limitations on mentality. And then there's one more thing I was going to mention, too, is that I think the modernism between the Internet and how people are getting information, there's a concept called Ikigai, which is a Japanese concept that's been around for over a thousand years. I'm not sure how old it is, but it's, it's a matter of balance between what you're good at what you can sell to like to make money off of, what is important to the world, and what are you passionate about. And when you find the culmination of that Venn diagram for all four, that's your ikigai, and that's your natural inclination. What's really interesting, you, you mentioned an ancient culture. I mean, anything that's you know 
um, Eastern philosophy or, or in that realm, you're like, yeah, that's a thousand years minimum. A lot of that stuff is like two, three, four thousand years old. But what's interesting about Eastern, um, or not Eastern philosophy, about ancient philosophy of any culture, I was, um, I was actually, I was actually selling a, a music project that I'd recorded. This has been probably 10 or 12 or 13 <laughs> years ago. Um, and so I was selling these, these CDs and booking shows and touring and stuff. And um, I had a friend say, hey, I want one of your CDs. I said, okay, cool. I mean, really close friends. Like, hey, I'll just give it to you. And he was like, no, I'm paying for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, man, I just want to give this to you. Like, you've done a lot for me. He's like, no, I'm paying for it. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm, I'll take your money. I'm not going to fuck you. Yeah. But we got to talking and he was like, you know, my, my wife and I have been studying this idea and, and the culture they were studying was like actually Jewish um, culture, even related to Hebrew culture. And he said the interesting thing about Jewish culture is in America, you'll hear the unfortunate term, uh, Jew you down or negotiate, yeah. which we don't, we, don't, we don't like to use, but that's what you yeah. hear a lot in America. And he said, actually, the interesting thing is where that phrase came from is not because Jewish culture wants a deal. Mm-hmm. It was actually because Jewish culture, when they would create something, they wanted the best uh, value in terms of quality for it because they had created it. So they actually valued their stuff in ancient ancient Jewish culture more so than what a lot of consumers would value because they knew how much effort it put into it. Yeah. So his whole point was don't give things away. Don't just give things away, but actually put value to it because... Mm-hmm. You've put something into it. And I just bring that story up to say it's interesting that in these modern times, we skip the value of talent, passion, skill, curiosity, rebellion, and we just want to rush to whatever's next. And when you study ancient cultures, you notice the value they put into things like what you're talking about. Yeah. One thing that's been coming up, I'm not sure what spawned it, but in my brain, when we've been talking, stoicism's been kind of cropping up in my, like, recollections. Yeah, explain that further. So, I need to learn more about it myself before I can do it easily, but stoicism <laughs> is more, Share what you know. Yeah, stoicism's more about reacting in a more positive way. Like, if you can't change the situation, mm-hmm. then there's no reason to react to it even positively or negatively. Just, mm-hmm. just understand it, understand why it happened, and move on. Mm-hmm. And like, for example, the story I've been using on my show, a couple of examples, is that I was listening to a Stoicism podcast. I wish I knew the name to give him a shout out, but uh, one of the biggest ones on Spotify that I know. And they were talking about the story about how two guys were hanging out. One of them had broken his thumb, and they had both been practicing Stoicism, and, or broken a bone, whatever it was. And he, they called the ambulance, and he was, like, screaming and panicking. And then he remembered the teachings that he had listened to on the Stoicism, like, uh, philosophy. And then he realized that as being that reactive person, someone who was being very, like, crazy, like, ah, I'm in pain, screaming, shouting, he realized that the nurses or the people that are in EMTs are trying to help him are not going to have an easy time taking care of him. He realized that, like, even though he's in pain, he could take a step back. And just like, yes, I'm in pain, and tell them verbally, like, I'm in pain, I really need some help. Like, kind of get some medicine or something like that. And just be more communicative and calm and collected that he's going to get better treatment and he'll recover faster because of it. Right. So it's that mindset shift. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I believe that life is much more found in the way we respond rather than the way we react. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's a major difference. And, and I, I really, I actually think that directly connects to you know, really what we're talking about is an approach to life. Yeah. That's, that's really, if you're to narrow it down, you know, uh, Dustin's using these really awesome concepts and ideas that he's come to, but really when you narrow it down and strip it down, we're saying this is an approach to life. Yeah. This is an approach to how you want to live. Um, you've mentioned something else quite a few times, and that's self-awareness. Um, I, I really love digging into the idea. I, I think one of the greatest values we're missing in the world right now is that self-awareness mm-hmm. um explain how is is there a time in life i can think of a story or two in my personal experience where i was like oh yeah i need to get into self-awareness a little more <laughs> yeah. was there an experience or something in life that you can go yeah that kind of led me down the path of learning more about self learning more about my response to life 
I always think it came from an innate curiosity and that my learning, like I, I pursued about six or seven years of self-development after high school instead of going to college. And throughout that, that's just what I chose to do. And throughout that experience, most of my learning came from these famous people like uh, Marcus Aurelius or Gary Vee or whoever I came across. Leonardo da Vinci is my hero, so that was a big one. Yeah. And just kind of knowing who you are, and more and more, they kept saying, you need to have self-awareness. You need to look, reflect on yourself, that kind of thing. So I'm not sure if there's a particular experience I can think of, but it's more of a cohesive view. How does that self-awareness um, help you become more adaptable in responding to life? If you think about the emotions, most of them spawn from the primal side of our brain, the reptilian side and stuff like that. And they're usually coming down to the fight or flight response. And so we've evolved into that particular response when it comes to how our brain operates but our society has evolved dramatically much more than that in this short time and we have not caught up to how our society and technology is so when there's situations where like you're getting upset that you failed a quiz in your test or something like that in school and it starts angering you that's it's because you're worried that it's it's a threat to your survival and so you're actually starting to adapt to that kind of cortisol rising, stress levels rising, your your body temperature rises, all these different responses that naturally happen, you don't notice that unless you have self-awareness and like, hey, wait a minute, why am I getting upset about this? This is not the end of the world. If I fail this test, I can take another one and move on. But knowing that shift is hard. Right, right. Uh, my favorite author is Thich Nhat Hanh, um, who is a Zen Buddhist mm -hmm. monk. And one thing he, one thing he continually um, reminds people love in his teachings is that when something like that arises, rather than combating it, simply saying, like his example often is fear. And he'll mm -hmm. say when fear arises, because fear arises in all of us, that we simply say, okay, fear, what can you teach me? What, what, are, you, what are you appearing to teach me at this moment? Stress, what are you appearing to teach me at this moment? Um, and that can be directly, I mean, you see this in the fitness world, when people don't eat properly and their body starts breaking down, it's like, okay, my body's breaking down. What do I need to learn? How do I need to respond to this? Um, that, that is just such a deep place of living mm -hmm. to where instead of combating something, you're all of a sudden saying, okay, teach me, teach me yeah. what I need to learn. Um, yeah, that's just an interesting concept, man. An interesting concept. I was looking for the book by him. Yeah, this one. Peace is every step. Mm. Yeah, on the camera there. Yeah. I said I'd show it to the audience there because that's a, one of the great books to start out with from him. And it's interesting too, like you're saying, you're, you're, you're reflecting on a Buddhist philosophy, but Stoicism and even Taoism often have many overlaps as well that I've noticed. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, what people would probably term evangelical Christianity. Um, and that was my background. And it's been really interesting as I've kind of grown over the years to study various perspectives. I've, I've learned to term them as just humanistic beliefs. They're, yeah. they're just universal concepts that if we'll apply them, no matter what label they fall under, if we apply those things, it totally impacts our life for the good. 100% impacts our life for the good. Well, and one thing I may add that I'm not sure would anger or surprise people in a good way is that a lot of the cultures and religions out there spawn from the same stories that were told way beforehand. So, for example, the Great Flood has mm -hmm. been yep. told in Hinduism, it's been told in Islam, it's been told in Christianity, Buddhism. and even some in Buddhism, yes, yeah, that too. Ironically, the story probably came from the Babylonian myths of creation. Mm -hmm. And then before them, I think the Sumerians or something like that. Right. And, or Lumerians, whatever the name is. And so, like, it, people don't realize that the stories are just re, being retold by under a different name or book. Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, to apply to our Amer American listeners, there's actually a, yeah. great, there's a Great Flood story in our indigenous culture as well um, yeah. for the Native Americans. And so, yeah, there's like three of those stories that are, that are threaded. The, the whole... Um, the whole fatherhood of Abraham and Christianity, there's actually a fatherhood figure in every single religious teaching. Like, it's amazing yeah. to really start finding those common threads. What I see in that is not so much that it's an absolute truth, but it's a universal perspective. Yeah. That all of these um, philosophies found something in common to say, yeah, here's the story of humanity. Okay, we'll listen to that. Yeah. Listen. I think it's crucial to listen to all of them too, though. Mm -hmm. Like no matter which one you believe in, listen to all of them so you can see the cross points and see what. If anything, you can think about it as confirming your own beliefs if you want to too. Like if if uh, if you're if you're a Christian and looking into Hinduism and there's a lot of common, 
there's a lot of common features between Krishna and Jesus and even the Buddha and some uh, Jesus-like teachings. And so it's interesting how if you go into those different philosophies with an open mind, you'll see a lot of overlap. Yes, 100%, 100%. But again, we're talking about mindset. And really, yeah. actually, the fundamental basis of the mindset of what you've been talking about and kind of being curious and exploring and rebellious, the opposite of that mindset is being closed-minded. And and it's it's been a very interesting thing to um, notice uh, uh, many of these cultures because within all of those belief systems, you have the people that are open-minded and the people that are closed-minded. You have yeah. the people that go, I accept you, I receive you, I want to hear your story, and the people that go, I'm right, you're wrong, and you need to listen to me. And that's certainly not a healthy mindset, but I think it's yeah. the same mindset that says you need to graduate high school, go to college, get a bachelor's degree, and do it this way. It's a traditional mindset. Yes, it is, very much so. Um, so let's go back to the whole polymath, poly-innovator. Uh -huh. uh, where do you see that going forward with you? Because you've talked a little bit about, you know, you have, you have your, your um, quote, jobs, and you have your brand building and what you're trying to do. Where do you see yourself moving forward on the platform of expanding polymath, poly-innovator, and what you want to do with that? Well, I'm not the only one who's talking about polymath. I was talking to Eric Wallace, who created the polymath playground, and I had him on my show, awesome guy, and I'm having someone else who created something called the polymath project. So what I'm really wanting to do is unite people on this front. So I created, I guess to really kind of tell you where I'm going, I want to tell you where I went beforehand. Yes, yes. So the precursor to Poly Innovator was called United Living Construct. It was meant to be a hub of innovation that in the beginning was going to be online, but I was hoping to create it into a physical construct as well. Mm -hmm. This construct isn't just necessarily physical, it's also a conglomeration of ideas in a unique way. And that's when I kind of took that ULC mindset right. where I was trying to combine ideology and technology in a unique way. And that was the construct. And then I was going to make it into a physical one as well. And that idea evolved into Poly Innovator because I realized that I wasn't good enough. And I don't think that the idea was strong enough just yet to convince people to go, United on Construct's a good idea. We should go for it. I might bring it back down the line or change it. But that's what led me to learn all the skills that I needed to know for like social media marketing and content creation, as well as that I needed to do build a personal brand. These, this company like Brand wasn't gonna do it. But that hub of innovation stuck with me. And so I started creating content to try to unite people under that kind of new idea. Mm -hmm. And especially having a network like you and I talking here, doing these interviews, I think it's been really helpful. That's one thing I was really excited about this quarantine is I started doing interviews for the right. first time. Right. I had done 42 episodes solo before I had my first guest. Mm -hmm. And uh, including the ULC podcast and the Poly podcast. And so, the future comes down to phases. So I actually have around 800 content ideas for my omni-content sprints, as I call them, because they're more like project management sprints than they are content creation sprints, mm. in a way. Right. So I'm, what I do is I try to take Gary Vee's idea where you break it down content and shift it off to different platforms, but a lot of people start from the video. Like, let's say you take this video, you cut out the audio, make it into a podcast, you transcribe it, make it into a blog post. And I think that you making a video podcast is a great idea. Like a lot of people need to follow that. That's that's how Lewis House grew 10x because he started doing YouTube videos as well. Right. So what I've been trying to do is maximize that cross-platform or as they say, omni-channel platforms approach. And so that's why I made this omni-content in a right. way. Right. Um, so I make a blog post because that's what I started out as. That's what I'm good at. And then I make that into a slideshow. I turn both of those into a video. I take the audio out, make it into a podcast. And so that's where I'm going with that. And like I said, I have 800 ideas or 700 ideas lined up for that Omni content. Right. And so I've been just trying to crank those out. I've only done four at this point because I was focusing so much on the interviews, but, and this year's just been weird as general. I think right. I can use that as an excuse. Right. But, right. So I didn't explain to you, answer to your question so much, but I kind of gave you the idea of like, this is what I'm doing. Right, right. In a way. So as far as building the brand idea and um, you know even the business idea of that is that is that something you're pushing toward going forward? Is this something, for instance, um, even though we love doing multiple things and we have multiple passions and we have diverse idealism, um, you know I always tell people I'm like you need to have multiple streams of income, but you better have one foundational stream of income. So business-wise, is this something you're trying to build to push forward? Um, as a business, is it something you're just doing because you love it? What what does that kind of kind of look like for someone just hearing your story? 
Well, and like I said earlier about Ikigai, it's it's my Ikigai. Yeah. It's the thing where I'm providing knowledge to people. And you mentioned earlier that we shouldn't just give it away for free, but I, I also like Jerry V's mentality of jab, 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 right hook. Mm. And I don't know if you right. noticed there, but I just said multiple jabs instead of like even the actual name of the book is three jabs, right. where you're just you're providing value over and over again and then asking for something to return. So I made it a free course. I need to re-upload it because my, my learning management system was messed up recently. But uh, I made this free course for self-education that leads into my first phase of content, which is around this modular degree, this self-education framework that I've been developing. And then I'm going to make a paid course for that modular degree. And that way I can generate income, but also create something that's of value with people. Yeah, and the interesting thing is when we, when we think of value, um, we automatically <laughs> relate that to money. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea like, you know, to me, uh, especially being a podcast host, one thing I've loved is something I can offer a value is having people like you on the show to expand who you're reaching out to. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm the same with other people. I want that value. I want to give that value. And, and it is interesting that, and I think it's because of the capitalist society that we're inundated with. It's like value means money. And I'm like, mm, sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, yeah, the electric company doesn't take uh, really good words for currency, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah. and so we've kind of let that narrow our our mindset, and that's an interesting thing to me is um, when we can when we can expand our idealism of value, and say, you know, that I mean, this could be potentially the best value that you and I gain is getting to know each other because yeah. that can open doors, and I think that's why Gary V has stuck to the philosophy he has is you've got to hit, you've got to hit, because value comes in different formations. Uh, but again, as a capitalist society, our, our, our uh, measurement of value is exchanging a dollar. Yeah. Well, there's a cool project that you reminded me of. It's called the Venus Project, where down in Florida, they're trying to, Jack Fresco, the late uh, Jack Fresco, I mean, he uh, created this new society idea, and he was trying to create this, cultivate this new lifestyle. Him and Roxanne Meadows, I believe her name is, uh, I don't remember her last name so much. I don't I have to cut that out. But <laughs> essentially, she she and him were trying to help build this new way of living. And it's a fantastic idea. I highly support them. But my feeling is that I grew up, little history there, like when I was eight or nine, I asked my mom and grandma for office supplies for my birthday because I wanted to be a businessman. Right. So I've always had that business acumen or mindset that I don't know if it's because of the capitalist society or this is how I was right. like mentally wired. But um, I realized that that's why that's not going to work just yet. I know the Venus Project is a good idea, and I think it'll eventually work. But I want it to work quicker. I want to help them have it work quicker. Mm -hmm. And the way I saw it is that in order to change how we do things, you need to play the game for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And in order to get out of the rat race, you have to play the rat race for a bit. You know what I mean? So the United Construct was meant to change things. But I realized that I needed to work my way through that system, the capitalistic system, make some money and use that money for positive outcome. Yeah, again, we're talking about perspective, right? It's it's this idea of, yes, I, I have this passion and I have this understanding at eight or nine years old, which by the way, I, I think the greatest ideas we have are when we have beginner's mind as a child because we're yeah. not diluted with all this other stuff. So kudos on you for continually you. taking that. I was kind of the same at nine or 10 years old. I felt like I was you know, led or, or had this passion within me to do certain things. And I still try and stick with those. And, but, um, but yeah, I, I think we have to gain that perspective. I'm very grateful. I'm kind of like you, I've done different things. I've had different experiences. I'm doing different things right now that I don't necessarily enjoy, but I am enjoying getting the experience of a different perspective. Um, and that's where I think people don't put themselves out there enough. You know, I've told, I've told business leaders multiple times, especially business leaders that have grown up in the business, maybe they're second or third or fourth generation, family owned. And the thing I always tell them is the best thing you could do is quit your job and go work for someone else because you have no frame of reference and how everything else works. And so I think that holds a lot of value, a lot of value. I think that's kind of why I switched over from a company-based kind of brand. And I say company, it was more of, it wasn't a nonprofit kind of idea that I was going for with the ULC. But it was more of a company kind of brand, and that wasn't. I needed a face for the company myself, but I wasn't good enough yet. Mm-hmm. And so I sw- I pivoted over to a personal brand because I could build that up, and I had the frame of reference now. Like, okay, the company brand is not going to work yet. Let's build a personal brand. They can build something off of that later on. Right. And that's why I built Poly Innovators to be the foundation for all the careers that I want to do in my life. Like you said, there's things you want to do, 
and a lot of times I'll just get stifled. Yes. And I want to I want to create music that align. I want to be a video game streamer that align, at least in some capacity, maybe more for fun. But I'm a graphic designer too. I've been doing graphic design for basically all my like adult life and all my teenage life. Right. And that's not something I've always talked about much. But it's I want to be able to pursue all the avenues of interest through those careers in a more organized way. Yeah. So two questions. Um, mm -hmm. There are multiple ways that people can connect with you on social media. Are all the are all the social media platforms at Poly Innovator? Yeah, pretty okay. much. Okay. So you be, I actually make a little joke sometimes is that I, I encourage you to find an obscure platform like D.Tube, which is the, like the YouTube alternative, or Steemit, or Gab, or uh, TikTok, or any kind of like, well, TikTok's not obscure anymore, but it used to be. <laughs> right. And find an obscure platform, look for Poly Innovator, and you'll probably find me. Cool, cool. <laughs> um, so when people are looking to connect with you, I, I have two questions that I find interesting. Um, number one, what, wherever they find you, whatever channel it is, what do you want, what would you like them as a consumer or a person of interest to hear from you and from your uh, motivation and your brand? What would you like that person to see, experience here? The pursuit of self-education or self-development. I think that that has to be the foundation before I can help at all in any other way. If I want to help innovation, like if, if I become an innovation consultant, I need that person to be open-minded and pursue self-development to actually understand what I'm going to go for with that, right. And uh, especially as a systematic thinker. And then on top of that, if you want to go as an alternative to college, that's kind of what I've been uh, pointing the modular degree as as an alternative. It's a more self-education route. You have to have that self-education background. Go pursue a course. Go pursue Duolingo on your phone or something like that. Right. And ask me how to start with that. I try to help as much as I can. I might need to make more content on how to start. Right. But uh, just ask me what I can do to help you in those random fields because there's, there's a lot of things I talk about. Yes, yes. Okay. So that's what you would like them to experience. The second question is what do you think they're experiencing now? Um, not sure, like, what the heck is a polymath? That's usually what people think. Hey, but that, that actually is a good point, is that I kept getting the feedback saying, like, I didn't know what a polymath was. I had to go look it up. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I created documentation on my website to kind of yes. induce that curiosity. Yes. So if you go to my website and you see polymath, I have... Most of the time I have it highlighted. You can click it and go to my documentation where I have a little Wikipedia snippet so you can get what they're saying, but also my definition of it as well. Right. And so that way I can ignite that curiosity. And I also have tons of other documentation people can go look right. into. Right. Yes, you do. You do, by the way. I, I did scope your website. I like, <laughs> before I interview someone, I'm like, yeah, I'd like to look. Um, I was interviewing someone uh, last week, our, our mutual friend Dave, and he was like, wow, you actually looked at my website. And I'm like, well, yeah, why would I not? And he was like, no, I've been on podcasts where they didn't look at anything. I'm like, no, 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 no. I gotta yeah. be that guy, um, but yeah, those are two interesting questions, right? It's like, and, and and I ask those questions because as a content creator myself, oftentimes we get stuck in our own perspective, yeah. and it's like we've got to sit back and go, okay, but what what is the marketplace really telling us? What are our people really telling us? Because we can miss it, we can miss it because we're so um, enraptured by what we're trying to manifest and. Mm -hmm. I ask myself those questions quite often. I'm like, okay, this is what I would like them to get, but what are they really getting out of this? Yeah, well, and that's, I think that's a really big problem that I'm gonna have to face, and I have been facing as, as a polymath or as a jack of all trades or generalist, as kind of inter like multi-talented -ta person, as they say, that I don't have a focus. I don't have a niche, per right. se. My niche right. is that, like poly innovator's niche is being a polymath of innovation. It's someone that's innovation and like multi-talented. That's the niche that I go for. But that means a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Innovation means a lot of things alone, let alone polymath of one. And then the polycast itself has multiple kind of avenues. I talk about smart cities. I talk about entrepreneurship. I talk about innovation, self-education, all these different things. And so what I try to do is focus, micro-focus in a way, micro-niche, right. where my main niche might not be focused and people might get mad at me for that, especially creators that are like, oh, you have to niche down. But my phases of content that I'm going to be doing, like the first phase is self-education. So I'm trying to build up that modular degree. So that's usually what I've been trying to push people towards is that self-education framework. I understand that feeling, man. I get told constantly by marketing experts, you're, you're too broad. You're way too broad. You got you to gotta focus in on something. People don't want broad. And I'm like, I do. Like One day I do want to write about how to start a new business. The next day I want to write about um, spiritual inspiration and the next day I want to write about you know I just want I love all this stuff and uh, but but it but it is a challenge that 
the marketplace can get confused. And yeah. when the marketplace gets confused, it, it, it really shrinks opportunity for us. And, you know, really our nature is to impact as many people as we possibly can. And so we don't want to shrink that necessarily, but it's a challenge, man. I have faced that challenge my whole life is, but at the same time, going back to our friend Thich Nhat Hanh, there's this idea that I continue to come back to, and that is, okay, am I saying, am I, am I just being rebellious to be rebellious, or am mm -hmm. I being rebellious because I need to learn something about self? And those are two very interesting internal conversations to have. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I, and I do think, sorry, I had to pop my neck dead, but uh, <laughs> I do think that when it comes down to focus, I don't think you and I need to at this particular point. So one kind of misconception about polymaths is that they th people think they're like a jack of all trades, lack of focus. So the actual saying is a jack of all trades, master of, master of none, not, but also not a master of one right. or, or something like that. The, the final little, people don't know that there's three parts to it, let alone two. Right. And the, it's like, you don't want to necessarily say just be a master of one because you're going to be so hyper niche that you're not going to see the bigger picture. Right. Versus like us, we're too big picture. We're not getting too details. At, at one point, when I was going on attention on this recording here today, you helped me get more of a detailed picture by just kind of orienting the questions right. Well, that's a good hosting situation there. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, like, knowing yourself, self-awareness, like, right. are you a big picture guy? Are you a detail-oriented person? And trying to do the opposite as well. So people misunderstand polymaths is that you don't have to do everything at once to become a polymath. Right. You also don't have to do just one thing to become a polymath. So what I've been trying to do is kind of everything at once, but over time, and doing my best to focus here and there, but I'm building up a lot of things at once. It's going to take a while to grow. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. But other yes. so some people are going to change, become a polymath either by doing multiple things over and over again, or they're going to do a whole bunch of things at once. And then either you're going to fail by doing that, or if you work really hard and get really lucky, you can do it that way too. Yeah. 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 And my saying always is, I'm just trying to get to the point that I can hire the detail people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't like editing, for example, <laughs> and I'm very picky when it comes to stuff, too. So, right. like, cutting out thumbs and uhs or weird yeah. pauses or, like, earlier I popped my neck and that might have been a good place to cut off. And I yeah. probably would have cut it if I was editing. Yeah. But I don't like editing, especially right. since it takes me a few hours so that I could be spending for something else. Yeah. So, I recently tried to delegate that to someone else and it was hard because I don't like delegating. Yeah, I think we just got Yeah, and I'm the yeah. guy that I'm, I'm so hell-bent on just pushing content that I'm like, eh, I didn't hear the neck pop too bad. We're going to leave it. <laughs> Yeah, there's, so, there's a difference between too, like kind of having a little bit raw, but also just cutting out some uns and uns. Like right. I don't cut out people's sentences, even if they don't make much sense. Yeah, like I didn't make much sense at some points today. I feel like, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not gonna probably not gonna cut them out. So. Yeah, but but it, I mean, but it really is. It's especially when you're. Let's go back to value. We're talking about. In fact, before the show, we were talking about justifying, um, raising our level of investment on hosting podcast shows, and there there's a lot of money that you and I could spend to make our shows even more quality. Again, we have to spend more money, and yeah. and I think that has to that relates directly to uh, where we where we export our energy. Um, we have to be very cautious because we want to put our energy into so many things. But at the same time, I was talking to someone today, and I have one one area of my life work wise that's actually doing really well. And my friend was like, "Well, that's great," and I'm like, "Eh, not really," because I'm having to rob energy from another yeah. area that I would rather be working in to make this area go well. And it's always this balance of, um, again, the electric company takes money, not dreams, and so yeah. <laughs> you're always having to 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 kind of work through that. Uh, going back to another great teaching is that all of this is impermanent, and yeah. if we're moving forward, then we'll eventually get through this impermanency onto something else that's impermanent. And that's a great mindset to have is it's not permanent. Well, and I think. Uh, first off, I want to say that Elon Musk is a good example where he split his attention basically 50-50 between Tesla and SpaceX. Mm -hmm. And that was a highly risky situation. He's one of those special people that either got lucky or managed to learn enough to actually manage to accomplish it. Right. But he got very close to failure, like very, very close, razor's edge kind of thing. And whenever you want to pursue those different focuses, and I think that he's he's going to have some kind of repercussion for it. I feel like he's going to burn out at some point. Maybe not, maybe yes. I'm wrong. Yeah. But like, yeah. you, got, you got to be careful with that. The second point I was going to make, I completely forgot. No, <laughs> what was it? Oh yeah. No, okay, we'll cut that part out if you can. <laughs> that one I will let it out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry, I just completely forgot that point. Um, but no, I, I think you're exactly right, and, and, and I do think burnout is a valid point. Um, and I often wonder if that's not, kind of circling back to the origination of our conversation, I, I often wonder if that's not what people fear 
about doing things that they have within them um, because we get comfortable. Uh, Life can be very convenient oftentimes. Impermanence. Yeah. Yeah. Come back to that. Come back to that. So it was the impermanence aspect behind it. So your focus is going to be in multiple different areas. And I was thinking about the impermanence aspect. When you mentioned that, it made me think about how Gary Vee has mentioned a lot that these platforms are not here for you. They're here for the money they get from it. And so like if you're on YouTube and another apocalypse happens and a lot of creators and people leave that platform, you're screwed because that's where a lot of people, not you, but like in general, no, if, right. that's where yes. your, if that's where your main home of content is, you don't own that. Same with Facebook, same with Instagram, same with TikTok. TikTok, I'm actually really concerned about because they've been getting really weird about like cutting off people like they had a whole scandal about handicapped people not being shown on the for you page they had a whole scandal about uh with this whole george floyd thing i i saw people getting shadow banned right. even though they said they actually got a little ranty at one point because they were saying oh we want to support everybody on there and yet i saw the opposite on there right and so i'm seeing all these platforms that you may not may or may not want to be on and so you want to be everywhere so that way if something does happen you have backups yeah a few weeks ago we had maybe a month ago we had um Christy Couture on our show and Christy is a um, social media marketing specialist and we were talking Mm -hmm. specifically in that show about how can we help small businesses smaller businesses um, understand that they need a presence uh, just at minimum uh, online but then also in social media and she made that exact point she said the thing I would tell businesses is you have to be expansive in your in your um, presence because when you put something on Facebook, Facebook now owns it. They can, they can yeah. decide when it's on or off. Uh, when you put something on TikTok, they can decide when it's on or off. And she was actually helping small businesses understand. She's like, I go to so many small businesses and their website is Facebook. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you, that, oh, you, can't, you no. can't do that. And what's funny is just two days ago, I was looking at a website and I clicked their domain and it went straight to their Facebook page. And she was like, no, you can't do that because you don't, you don't have the ability to control when that is on or off. Um, and I think so many small businesses fear, and I get it, I get it, because you know, you take someone that's starting a business, trying to invest in their business, they don't know, they don't have these skill sets yet, they're scared of social media, they're scared of building a website, they think they have to hire someone for $1,500 to build a website for them. And Christy was like, no, 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 we can make it much more simple than that. And I think that's yeah. a great value to what, to what you're pinpointing. I want to add one more thing, and I, I, I want to avoid politics as much as possible, but there's something that happened recently that encouraged people to be self-educating on it, is that Trump was signing an executive order about how Twitter might Twitter not, or any kind of platform is going to become these like publishers kind of thing, which means that they're liable for whatever content's on there. And I don't know how this is going to progress. I don't, I don't think it's going to go the way people think it's going to go, and so I encourage people to look, there, look it up for themselves. But it does if it does go to make it a path, that means these platforms may not be as viable as it used to be. Well, let's put ourselves in the platform shoes. If, if you're yeah. an owner or an investor in one of those platforms and say that did that did unveil the way he wants it to, mm-hmm. these platforms are going to be non-existent because they're not going to yeah. go that route. They're just they're just not. That's not why they're in it. Um, which which actually gives value to what we're saying. If the only presence you have is on one platform, or if your website is social media based, you better yeah. start building something else now. So you want to know something interesting that I. I, I'm not the one that predicted this, but I'm just re-saying it like a parrot. Decentralized platforms are the future. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's more about how there's like there's Steemit, which evolved into a hive.blog. So if you do one of those, do a lighter one, where it kind of it's like a merge between Reddit and Medium. Mm-hmm. And it's a really nice platform. I automatically send all my blog posts to there. And that's one way, way I kind of get that omnichannel approach. But it's a decentralized alternative. People don't necessarily, like there's no centralized authority versus like, DTube, which is also another alternative built on that same blockchain, that's an alternative to YouTube. So if something happens to YouTube, especially considering this new executive order, right. people might be able to pivot over to D.Tube, which is a more decentralized version, and people can actually have a bit more freedom that way. Right. Yes. And monetization, too. Yes, yes. Um, I, I have to give our friend um, Dave Lowe credit. He, mm-hmm. he has done a really good job building his website. Um, yeah. And he has done a really good job, you know, and his, it, it's a really, it's very professional when he puts his blogs up, his blogs look very published. Um, yeah. He does a great job at SEO and he's just one. There's, there's a tons of, it. you know, like I said a while ago, your website is great. And, but I, but I just think the more we can invest in what we can control, um, mm-hmm. especially as entrepreneurs. So for anyone that's listening that is an entrepreneur, the more you can invest in what you can control 
if everything else goes down, you still at least have what you've invested in that you can control. One thing I gotta listen to my own advice on, but I'm just re reiterating what these professionals say: <laughs> build an email list, build yes. an email list, because yes. you gotta have that something that you can control. Although, I, so if someone can help me, I've been dealing with a lot of spam bots signing up, so that's annoying. I, I'm really terrible at email lists. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really bad. I had yeah. a, uh, I had a, uh, a uh, coach that I was working with um, over the last few months, and he was like, "Mitch, you've got to build your email list," and I'm just like. I don't particularly enjoy getting the email list and I don't, I mean, I'm the same as you. I'm like, and then when you build an email list, I, I don't know, it's a weird, um, but I have to listen to the people that know what they're doing. And this guy in particular knows what he's doing. And I'm like, okay, I, so we'll, we'll help hold each other accountable that maybe yeah. we'll both get our email list going. Well, so. and you were speaking David too. I think that like, there's a lot of similarities between us all. And I like how we're building that ecosystem. So kind of going back to that community aspect and, you're mentioning too, like these platforms aren't going to want to deal with these content on there if they're going to be negative. Right. Excuse me. Right. And so uh, I actually almost built my own social network for Poly Innovator. Mm. Like some of the first iterations of the Poly Innovator website was going to be a community. So I was still trying to keep that United Living Construct idea. And there was a whole bunch of nuance behind building that, even though I, I knew all the tools, I, I looked at, did all the research and whatnot, but I wouldn't be able to handle that on my own. Right, right. Yeah, I've actually known, it's interesting to mention that, I've known multiple people, pro probably four or five people that have over mm -hmm. the years, either as a, as a uh, school project, college project, or someone of interest like you, who have kind of said the same thing. We've looked at building something else and people don't understand the work and the energy and, the, and just the stuff that goes behind that. It's not just a fly mm -hmm. by night, you know. Tick, yeah. TikTok just doesn't show up by accident. Snapchat doesn't show up by accident. I mean, these are people that put a ton of money into it, a ton of research into it, a ton of organization into it. And it's not easy. It's it's not easy. So, yeah. Um, cool, Dustin. This has been a really, really fun conversation, man. A really fun Cheers. conversation. Uh, I always like to do two things when we start kind of winding down the show. Um, first of all, I like to ask my guests, what is something you would want to leave with the listeners? They've listened to us for almost an hour now. What's something yeah. you would want to leave, um, with them? A new vocabulary word. Another one at this point. <laughs> nice. uh, there's something called multi-potentialite. So someone who has the potential of multiple different areas. And I feel like there's a spectrum when it comes to that. So you have the multi-potentialite, someone who has potential to do in a lot of areas. You have a jack of all trades who's trying to dip their toes and all of that. And that's why they say they're a master of none because they're just putting their hands in the cookie jars for now. Yeah. You have a generalist who's getting kind of higher skill level in these areas. And then you have more of like a polymath, someone who's actually mastered multiple pillars of knowledge. And so just try to find that where you are in that spectrum. And if you want to be a specialist too, that's fine. But if you're going to be a specialist, make sure you have that width of knowledge as well. Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Um, the next thing I do is I have five questions I ask every guest. Okay. One word answers only. One word answers oh. only. Okay. Okay. And lightning round. And then, and, and by the way, I've not had a guest yet that stuck to one word answer. So everyone <laughs> goes, "Here's your answer. Can I elaborate?" And I'm like, "Sure. I'm not like I'll a elaborate stupid. afterwards. I'll do one word <laughs> answers first. Okay. Um, regarding books, do you prefer digital or paper? Digital. Coffee or tea? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I've never had a yes before. Um, what's one guilty pleasure you have in life? <laughs> this is technically two words but it's it's one thing apex legends apex legends okay i like it uh one thing that you cannot live without one thing you cannot live without water nice uh both technically and you enjoy drinking water um what's your favorite season of the year summer i guess summer. i was working in a pool so yeah 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 that's been a lot of your life uh, okay, you wanted to elaborate. Did you pick one you wanted to elaborate on? I'm going to give you the opportunity. <laughs> so I've actually been kind of experimenting with caffeine. I've always been a high caffeine consumption person. And so co coffee or like little caffeine packets with aspartame in it or tea or basically any source. Energy drinks were a, especially a bad pleasure of mine in the past. But um, I've been trying to manage that and decrease it dramatically over the past year. And also, I was listening to someone talking about how caffeine's a drug. It's, it's one of the things that's really manipulating you. Right. So I'm trying to minimize how much I'm consuming that. Nice, nice. I would say that's probably something many of us could uh, take advice from. So yes, yeah. yes. Awesome, Dustin. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, brothers Thanks and sisters, you can follow Dustin on Instagram at Poly Innovator. 
Um, we'll list that in the show notes and the video notes as well. Pretty much any any social media platform as we talked yeah. about. Hey, try and search Poly Innovator and see if Dustin's on there. So uh, make sure to subscribe to his podcast. Dustin, is your podcast available pretty much anywhere for the most part? I think the only platform it's not on is iTunes. Okay, so so a lot of other places. Um, the Polymath Polycast is where you can find Dustin. Um, YouTube channel, where can they subscribe to yes. that? Um, I don't have the channel name specified because it was it was branded to the ULC. But at this particular point, if you if you go on my Instagram, you can go to my website. Or you can, uh, outside might be in the description too. I try to make it as easy as possible when you go to my site to find whatever links you like header, description, or even this, within the page itself, you'll find many links. Perfect. And give us your website one more time. It is polyinnovator.space. Polyinnovator.space. So go check out his website. It is full of some really cool thoughts and really cool um, work and explanations and just and links to other stuff. Um, it's a really cool place to explore. So um, brothers and sisters, thank you for listening to The Mitch Grace Show. Dustin, thanks so much for coming on. If you'll hang on, we'll visit after we get done recording. And we hope that, uh, brothers and sisters, that you take some time to explore um, your knowledge, educate yourself, follow your passions. And as I always say, curiosity is one of the greatest assets of humanity. So please follow your curiosity. And I just want to add one more note. Um, this show from the time of recording will come out um, in a few weeks. But I want to add one more note. Please, uh, please, please, if you are a person of the Caucasian ethnicity, a white person in America especially, please do some, self, some, some measuring of your self-awareness and of your approach to life. And just um, it's time that we find a little bit of compassion um, toward our brothers and sisters of color, whether of the indigenous race, of the immigrant um, population in America, but especially the black people. Um, it is a day and time in our society that we should be far past the crimes and the uh, misuse and abuse of our brothers and sisters of color. And as white people, we helped cause this problem and we can help be the change to this problem. So I would encourage you, my friends, take some time to think about that. If you need help or resources and how to educate yourself on that specific subject, Please reach out to me specifically. My guess is Dustin has also been measuring his heart and compassion and is on the same train as well. So he could probably lead you in that direction too. Um, but we love all of you and we stand together, not just as Americans, but as humans. And so just take the time uh, to consider those thoughts. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Dustin, you have something to say. Yes. So one thing I've used all, all throughout my years creating content is the hashtag make a change. Yes, and, and now is the time maybe greater than ever. So make change, hashtag yes. make a change. Thanks, Dustin. Stay on, and brothers and sisters, have a great day, and we will talk to you next week.